everybody and welcome. This is the Mazao Talks podcast, which is a platform for both knowledge sharing and peer-to-peer exchange between small and medium-scale farmers across Kenya. We feature contributions by farmers, budding farmers, agri-food experts, as we drive discussions on good agricultural practices, as well as business opportunities that are readily available for the youth. This podcast is made possible by the European Union Funded Market Access Upgrade Program, MACUP, which is implemented by United Nations Industrial Development Organization, UNIDO, and is produced right here at Semabox. Yeah, so as we start, please remember to like, share, and subscribe on all our platforms. Our handle is at MACUP Kenya on Twitter, Instagram, as well as Facebook. For more information about any of the topics we discuss, please find us at markupkenya.org. My good name is Jason. I am Sheila. And no matter who you are, you, you can farm. We are obviously working in times of a global pandemic that interrupted everything that we once knew. In many ways, the world that we live in today has changed so much um, and will continue to change. So in light of this, uh, let's take a look at what the future of agribusiness may look like. So with us in the studio is Kirinya Kithinji uh, from Wild International. And uh, let's at least just give him a chance first to introduce himself and tell us what you do. Thank you very much. So my name is Kirinya Kithinji. I am a consultant with Wild International. Now, Wild International is a management consulting firm that specializes in uh, developing strategies for small and medium enterprises, um, pretty much. Uh, and of course, when we talk about strategy, we are talking about roadmaps, all right? And helping specifically small and business, small business owners make the correct choices about tomorrow, right? So that's what, in a nutshell, strategy is. Uh, that's what we do. So we've worked with over 400 businesses over the last 10 years across many sectors. Yes. Overall, uh, speaking, what would you say has been the biggest impact of COVID-19 on the agribusiness space? <clears throat> right. Um, COVID-19 has had um, complicated uh, complicated impacts across the agribusiness space. For example, um, I'll pick one big, big one. When the lockdowns were severe, when the government set across the globe uh, um, came up with lockdown measures. The one thing that was completely disrupted was um, was logistics, mm-hmm. right? So you probably have a market, but how do you access the market? Uh, so logistics that that was really really affected. The other thing that was affected was demand. Um, people um, tended to consume either more or less depending on the products. Now because many people are kind of like idle. Um, and pretty much doing nothing, especially during those days of severe lockdown, you we tended to consume a lot, a lot more food, yeah. Because you know what happens when people are just idle; they eat more. Yeah. They find they find something to do with that time, and eating is just one of the past uh, part times. That's how I lost my six pack. <laughs> <laughs> we hear you. <laughs> so and remember um, that disruption of uh, the other thing, of course, is disruption of su- supply chains. Um, if you're in whatever agri business that you're in, um, there is outbound logistics. In other words, you're reaching out to me, your consumer, but there's an inbound logistics. You need your fertilizers. You need this and this. How do they get to you? 
with all those distractions. So it really did affect um, um, <clears throat> um, agribusiness in some sense. But for some products, they actually um, the demand actually shot up because maybe there was more demand for coffee because people have more time to drink coffee. Uh, there's more demand for beverages and just food. What what you put on your table, basically. I remember bananas specifically <laughs> because the amount of banana bread that was made during lockdown. <laughs> so that's 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 overall. And then as we look in in terms of uh, the response to the COVID itself, it created its own its own issues. I've mentioned what lockdowns ended up doing. Um, but generally speaking, uh, as far as agribusiness is concerned, <clears throat> if you look at uh, the food side of things, you know, your day-to-day -day kind of thing, um, I mean, COVID doesn't affect uh, consumption of food, really. Um, but other things, like if you, if you have an, a broader view of agriculture, for instance, like flowers and those other things, they were really affected. But like I said, the problem was logistics. And because of logistics, they had issues with, uh, they are not able to service demand. Now, I even had a client, listen to this, who exports um, uh, avocado to one of those uh, uh, European countries. Um, and he has this shipment of two, three, four, five, I don't know how many containers there were of avocado. And remember, it's 40 food, about 23 tons of fruit. Eh? So during COVID, uh, by the time they were getting to the port of entry, um, the country had shut down. So they're like, we're not accepting anything, especially from Africa. So what do you do with the avocados? And they're somewhere in the high seas, probably 100 kms away. So we had to reroute his, um, his uh, avocados to another country. Imagine. Wow. Oh, yes. my God. That's COVID for you. He had to reroute those avocados to another country. Fortunately, um, he found market in the Middle East uh, and he, he got better prices, but his avocados were at sea for 60 days. <gasps> and maybe it's a miracle that only just a few boxes got spoiled. Eh? Boxes, not even containers, wow. just like maybe 50, 100, which is fine. I mean, compared, compared to the with size. that. But his demand completely tanked. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you're exporting 20 containers of avocados every month, 15, 20, sometimes even higher, to zero. And a lot of that money that you used to prepare those avocados was borrowed. How do you repay that? Wow. So, obviously... Um... Uh, COVID presented a lot of challenges. Yes. Which also presents a lot of opportunities in terms of uh, offering solutions to some of these challenges. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can tell us um, what has recovery mm -hmm. looked like so far? All right. Um, going back to my major points about demand and logistics. Mm. When, when uh, the measures that the government came up with were eased off, so of course logistics became okay, isn't it? So produce was able to move from upcountry, wherever it comes from, at least to the cities. So in that sense, then um, um, uh, what, what, what we find is demand, uh, demand was kind of like smooth, is it smoothened out or something like that? Reason being um, farmers or even brokers who buy from farmers and deliver to markets were able to access the markets, uh, just talking locally, basically. Um, <clears throat> now, one um, point that I probably forgot to mention is 
when during during the <clears throat> the 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 lockdown phase across across the globe one of the things that uh, um really suffered and i think it lifted immediately after the lockdowns were 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 completed is um <clears throat> ability to access inputs yeah now if you don't have correct inputs you're farming um and this is planting season you see the lockdown happened in march during the long rain isn't yeah, it yeah. and during that particular time you need access to pesticides you need access to fertilizers mm. but whatever is on stock is actually run out because it's not being replenished yeah. so the idea of stockouts of basic inputs may really have affected um, ultimate production so i would look back and say now that the governments have cracked how to deal with covid um that's being reflected in prices isn't it because now when the inputs are not available when the when the <clears throat> uh, agricultural inputs are not available or are difficult to find one of the things that happened is that the prices begin to go up. go up isn't it yeah so once prices go up and then you're missing out the opportunity because this is a long range isn't it so you may you may think um that that covid didn't really have an impact but it did at the farm gate level so the person who would have produced 10 tons of maize ended up producing 5 because maybe they couldn't access enough fertilizer yeah forget about outward logistics inbound logistics they didn't have probably access to proper seeds because maybe they imported from uh whatever uh, from israel or from wherever else they produce high high quality seeds so and then at the point when you're accessing the inputs because of a severe lockdown you only have like two or three suppliers in your village you are dealing with that so they take advantage of that so and you see if you're buying if you in your budget you're expecting to do your priced your pricing was based on 100 shillings per kg of fertilizer and you ended up buying at maybe 300 what happens you have to raise your price to to recover isn't it yeah. and when you raise your price what happens is uh now you're fighting with demand because i'm used to buying this cabbage or this uh, kilo of beans for 200 shillings now yeah. they are coming to the market at 400 400 shillings first because of the logistics issue secondly because of the input issue so uh, i would say um now that the governments have cracked out to deal with covid and they've done away with those severe lockdowns what what's what the immediate effect of that of course it's felt a little bit further down the road is that you should expect the the prices of food began to fall a bit isn't it um and then the prices of inputs also began to fall a bit and now the ultimate consumers of these products which is us basically especially those in the urban areas began to benefit from that i don't know whether you experienced that uh, a spike in the price of food stuffs during during covid you did yeah it happened yes yes so why was there a spike Uh, in, in in the price of food stuffs um yet people had already planted <laughs> mm. there was already food out there isn't it yeah. Mm. Yeah. so it was really really disruptive um uh, for for both farmers and 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 um and consumers at the end of the day but um i'm glad that the policy makers kind of like east uh, they found a better way to handle the covid situation mm. Mm. um and hopefully um we are feeling that effect maybe in terms of lower prices and things like that
So um, the overall policy response, I think, ultimately has benefited us, except for the lockdowns. Eh? Yeah. So, um, and then remember also, um, the government took measures to make um, financing affordable. For for instance, the central bank managed to convince the banks to not to list defaulters. <laughs> Isn't it? Because yes. businesses were being shut down and uh, your primary source of repayment for your loan, if you take one with the bank, is your business, isn't yeah. it? And your business is not operating. So what do you do? So the central bank managed to persuade the banks, for instance, to to ease off on uh, on uh, on listing people with the credit reference bureau. Because mm. once you're listed there, your history is really messed up yeah. and it becomes difficult to access the next financial. Mm. Unless, of course, you go to a Shylock will be pretty much waiting for you. So at the policy level, I think um, we got some good policies running. And remember, this is a first experience, isn't it? Uh, maybe the lockdown was a knee-jerk reaction, but it up happened across across the globe, the globe rather. But I think eventually we got our, as a, as a country, we got our policy, policies right as far as uh, reviving, reviving the economy. Now, it's not gotten back to where it was supposed to be, uh, partly because we are approaching an election year, mm. and whenever happens, whatever happens in an in, so you have COVID, and people are recovering from COVID, and as we approach an election year, because it tends to be a very uncertain time for our country, people hold back on investments, mm. isn't it? So yeah. you don't want to put up a, a building or whatever else you want to put up, and then at the end of the day, uh, it's burnt down. Yeah. And so whenever people postpone investment, whenever they postpone consumption, we have slower economic growth rate. Mm. So COVID is hitting us at the feet and the elections are chopping us up on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> that must be the perfect so the elections are locking us up. Mm. But policy-wise, I think, especially in the financial sector, I think um, the, the policymakers did a good job on that one. Plus, remember, they also... One of the things that the government did was to lower uh, taxes. Yeah. Um, so, um, I th let me see. If you're earning about twenty five thousand pre COVID, uh, you're eligible for tax. Of course, it's small, pay as you earn, eh? but small amounts, of mm -hmm. course. But uh, when COVID happened, they raised the tax band just to have more money available for people. Mm. Um, that's a smart policy move because when you have more money in your pocket, you spend more. Mm. And when you spend more, you drive the economy. I mean, if all of us are spending more, that drives the economy. So that was a good move. Uh, and then the again on the finance side, in terms of lowering transaction fees for MPESA transactions, mm. uh, maybe bank to bank, whatever, that really did help. Yeah. Not just to spread, uh, to stop the spread of using, uh, of corona, I mean, as in money changing hands, physical money changing hands, but it helped to remove the barriers to, to transaction. Mm. And then the more you transact or the more you spend, of course, the more it spikes the economy. Mm. So at policy level, yes, um, I think, especially on the finance side, I think um, those, 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 those were good moves. Now, what happens is, uh, that's, that's broadly, that's a country. What about you as an individual business person? What kind of... What kind of um, um, responses did we see, especially um, as, as people who deal with SMEs? Um, the, 
um, one of the big things about responding to to uh, to COVID uh, at the business level was some some businesses are highly specialized. Eh? Um, like if, for instance, you're dealing with, uh, I don't know, uh, like two events, for instance, mm-hmm. they are pretty much built for that um, yeah. for that space. Eh? So all of a sudden, they're not tourists. So what do you do with them? Yeah, and many of them are on higher purchase. In other words, they're on loan. Mm-hmm. So you're still expected to pay at the end of the month. So you can see that crunch. Eh? Um, so some some ended up repurposing their assets. Others were just ended up with what we call stranded assets. They are just packed in there. You can't use them because yeah. they depend on tourists, for instance. Um, then we, the smarter ones dismantled their matatus and turned them into cargo. cargo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that a lot. Yeah. And then uh, consultants like us who are used to physical meetings moved moved online. Mm. So it's it's there was a spectrum of difficulty, but. Uh, uh, in terms of adapting to COVID, uh, but overall, uh, businesses really did suffer, and which just brings me to one uh, aspect about about business. If there's no demand, mm. that's the one big lesson. Yeah. If demand is affected either through logistics or disrupted, like elections or whatever, just no businesses are going to suffer. Yeah. Now the problem is when it's systemic; it cuts across the whole country. Mm. But if it affects only you as a business. Uh, or it's localized to certain uh, areas, uh, business areas, then I think that's, mm. I mean, it's not too bad, yeah? But something that cuts across a whole country uh, and affects demand, it's a very big, big issue. Yeah. Yes. Um, there are things, of course, with major global events, yes. things change. For example, mm-hmm. uh, when 9-11 happened, yes. air travel changed yes. across the globe. Yes. Um, there was introduction of, Metal detectors, mm-hmm. even like in Kenya, yes, we have yes. metal detectors everywhere. Yes, the only place I think we don't have metal detectors is at home. Yes, when you're entering your house. <laughs> um, what would you say in the space of agribusiness mm-hmm. was affected by the pandemic that will not go back, that will never go back to the way it was? Um, well, to the best of my knowledge, agribusiness tends to be very, very resilient. Eh? Mm. Because uh, for the better part, agribusiness is about food. Yeah. So as long as there are people, they will need food. Yeah. So they tend to be quite resilient. Okay. Um, um, what happens is the other spaces around agribusiness, like floriculture and those other things, which, mm. are, which are considered luxury, so to speak. Yeah. So what's luxury about agribusiness tends to suffer in, in, uh, in, in, in periods of pandemic. Mm. In, in periods like the ones that we're experiencing. But food is a constant, it's a stable. I mean, it's that's that's the way life is lived, so yeah. to speak. And you find even in uh, developed countries, you find they are investing a lot in food uh, and they keep um, directing a lot of resources in, in, in production of food and emphasizing things like food security. Yeah. Now, why is that? Because it's a basic necessity, so to speak. So what will happen in, uh, uh, when it comes to food, uh, demand for food, it tends, any shock tends to be seasonal and not permanent. Mm. Yes. Okay. Um, I would be worried about a permanent shift, like, for instance, uh, 
And how would it happen that people wake up one morning and say, we will, not, we will no longer eat food? So that's just not mm. possible. Yeah. So because it's a very, very basic necessity, um, my thing, my understanding is it just gets, the shocks come and they go, mm. all right? So the shocks come, maybe demand tanks, because yeah. maybe of logistics issues and the rest. But it doesn't mean that people don't want to eat. Mm. It's just that they're disrupted. Mm. So the demand is still there. So for me, um, agribusiness, especially around food, food, food itself, I think it's a very resilient um, resilient sector. What happens is that the, the shocks come in, people are not able to access uh, uh, or people are not able to produce mm. because of this or that reason. But for me, I consider those shocks as temporary. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, like like for instance, uh, um, uh, travel, mm. the travel business, whether it's aviation or whatever else. Yeah, people will always want to travel. Mm. In a sense, what happens is a shock like this comes in, and uh, there are travel restrictions and the rest. But it does not mean that that gets rid of latent demand, and maybe yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. So even when the 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 items that we are looking for are not on the table or they are not accessible does not that's that's does doesn't mean that the latent demand has disappeared yes and when those obstacles that are preventing us from consuming or accessing those products are removed we come back yeah and pick it up and pick up from where we left so to speak yes um what so obviously you know with the pandemic uh, how we normally operate things, even the nature of work, yes, changed. Like you were saying, some of the consultancy work you're doing now is mm-hmm. more online. Yes. Well, before <laughs> even suggesting an online meeting was a bit of a, you mm-hmm. know, like Skype has been there for years. Yes. Uh, decades. But you know, we, we never really took it as seriously as 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 we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Is what are some of the things you think mm-hmm. came with the pandemic mm-hmm. that actually had a positive impact in the mm. in the space of agribusiness? Okay, very interesting question. Um, uh, I think overall, when you look at the agribusiness sector from a consumer's point of view, yeah, um, <clears throat> I've talked about later demand. The demand is always there, mm. but. I may be constrained as a consumer of agribusiness outputs around time, around um, uh, maybe I don't have money in the pocket, mm. or maybe I, I I I have money but I don't have the time to access to access a product, or maybe in terms of uh, skills. So there are three, four different kind of constraints. Now, what happened to? Um, I've talked about time. I've talked about money. Um, I've talked about uh, complexity, and I've talked, and the third, the fourth one is access. Those are the four major constraints that uh, uh, consumers of agri, agri, agri business, um, agri business products, as it were, go through. All right. So, what does what did the um, what did the pandemic do? It aggravated those problems. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What was uh, Expensive became more expensive. What was inaccessible became even more inaccessible. Mm. What was uh, uh, complex became even more complicated because you have to have this layer of skill and this layer of skill. Mm. So um, <clears throat> the positive thing is that the smart people in agribusiness actually sat back and asked themselves, in terms of these constraints, mm-hmm. time, money, uh, location or access uh, skills. Mm. 
what can we do to make to make sure that our business survives in this space where these four um four common common obstacles to consumption are really constraining us and their response was innovation all right so that's the thing the covid uh, pandemic those who rode on it became more innovative in terms of dealing with those obstacles and even with the products that were that probably they wanted to target so how did they deal with uh, for instance um uh, access right how did they deal with access the problem of access now speaking for myself um during the pandemic i mean on a normal day like this mm-hmm. uh you have to go to the market supermarket to access your vegetables during the pand- 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 pandemic the severe lockdown what happened is they brought the vegetables to us all right mm-hmm. so they they knew we still need vegetables our problem is access so they brought them to us uh that was one example so innovation um and that really um but broadly speaking if you're really customer centric and you go through and you understand your customers very well when the pandemic uh when a situation like the pandemic comes in you know that your customers still have this need mm. so how do i lock it down yes and i've mentioned those four obstacles but the need is still there but they are facing these four obstacles so how do i lock it down so one of the big benefits uh of of the pandemic pandemic rather is that it helped people become more innovative right and how the the bit the bit about innovative is how else can we serve our clients yes because the need is constant yeah. people still need to eat food isn't it people need, still need to make phone calls they mm. still need to transfer their money to um their relatives up country so innovation it's just brought out the how else because sometimes as a small business owners we get locked in a certain way of doing yeah. things isn't it um and say this can only be done in this particular way so if you're used to taking your products to the market uh if you're used to waiting for clients to come to buy products for from the market now the market has been shut down by by covid mm. will you just give up and say there is no longer any demand no people still need to cook anyway they have children to look after mm. so what do you do you turn up at their doorstep or you make phone calls you ask them uh what are you taking today is it tomatoes should i bring this should i bring the other so that's the thing about covid it helped to people it helped the more creative ones the more creative uh, business owners ask themselves how else can we lock down this need yeah and those who succeeded those who thought through that really did succeed eh? um but now because those obstacles have kind of like reduced uh, it's kind of business is like back to normal then you probably have to think how else mm. uh, can i survive in a competitive space as it were yeah so yeah innovation was one 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 big takeout for yeah. yes it was i think there was generally like you say innovation and there was a huge huge uptake of technology that's the other thing huge huge yes, huge yes especially for those in services industry yeah. or knowledge workers mm. uh, uh see knowledge workers just need a laptop probably yeah so the thing is how how do i still uh, serve my client who is in the other county and there is this lockdown how do i go about that mm. so there was uh, 
a very huge uptick of technology for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it, it did work well for those who are service oriented mm. mostly. Yeah. But for agribusiness, they just thought, how else do I nail this problem? Yeah. Because I know there's demand. The only problem is this and this and this. So let me find a way to get my produce to my clients. Yeah. In the most affordable way. So that's that. That uh, creativity is very, very important for us, all business sectors, not just mm. agribusiness. Yes. So this, the pandemic seems to be ending mm. uh, now that we found vaccines, people are getting vaccinated. Mm. Um, I just wanted to hear from your perspective what you think of the supply chain management, specifically when it comes to technology. Mm-hmm. Mm, what do you think are the biggest improvements that have happened? Mm-hmm especially in terms of supply chain mm-hmm. relating to producers because that's who we are okay. talking about, yeah. All right. Um, I think the first comment to make on that is that uh, COVID woke people up, that there can be disruptions in uh, in, in the supply chain. Um, at, I mean, I alluded earlier to access to inputs, which are completely uh, necessary for 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 producers, the fertilizers, the seeds, uh, the pesticides, and whatever else. So that work uh, produces up. Now, one of the um, uh, things that they are trying to do is um, <clears throat> to sort out their inventory systems. Right. So do we um, is to anticipate first its planning. Um, What's going to happen? What are what are the scenarios that we expect over the next uh, say planting cycle? Yeah, uh, and then deal with worst case scenarios. If if there is another lockdown, what do we need to have uh, on board? So number one, um, if if we're in production, definitely we have to talk about inputs. So you have to figure out if uh, supplier number one, number two, number three fail, where can I get my my inputs from? So that's the planning side. Uh, <clears throat> And then, secondly, is in terms of uh, once once you're pro- once you once you're done with your production, how do you get your product to the consumer? Mm. So, what alternatives do we have to make sure that because that's 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 really the objective of uh, supply chain management is to make sure that your product gets to the final consumer, uh, the cheapest way, the most effective way, and when really the consumer needs it. So, um, <clears throat> asking yourself, I've relied on uh, Transporter X for the last ten years. Yeah, to get my produce to the market. Should I have another two or three or four? Mm. All right. So even as you're thinking about supply chain management, I think um, um, the exciting thing about COVID is that it's also turned um, agribusiness uh, practitioners into risk managers of some sort, <laughs> isn't it? Mm. So, and that's one of the benefits of this. Oh, I didn't think this would happen. Although for Kenyans, I'm a bit surprised because everybody knows uh, what happens during the election cycle, but you never learn. Yeah, so business as usual, as it were. So uh, what role does technology play in in um, in, in supply chain management? Um, the big thing about technology really is um, when you have everything on one page, uh, as it were, who are your suppliers? Uh, what are what are your vulnerabilities as a producer? Uh, who who else can I turn to when you have everything on one page? Uh, and that's definitely enabled by technology. You yeah. can't do that like with manual records, as it were. So, um, and the other thing is, um, 
in terms of your consumers. For instance, if you're supplying, um, say, bananas to the supermarkets, all right, and their order system is very efficient so that they know when you get down to three bunches, it automatically triggers an order for for your bananas. Yeah. Um, that really does help in uh, supply chain management. So what I'm really talking about is integrating, using leveraging technology to integrate what you do with what the end consumer is looking at so that you're able to respond uh, and then anticipate issues with, uh, with, for instance, logistics. The other thing is uh, leveraging um, um, professional suppliers of logistics, for instance. So and making those decisions, do you need to own the trucks yourself to get your stuff to the market? And, or should we rely on um, suppliers, whoever they are, so to speak, and, and contract suppliers? A third party. Yes. Mm. So... But what, how really, really I see um, producers can engage in, uh, in supply, in, I mean, can effectively manage uh, supply chain management using technology is having very strong linkages with the people who act, act uh, with their distributors, for instance. Hey, so you don't sell your bananas directly to the market. You probably sell them through Quickmart and the others. Mm. So do you know? how many bananas there are on the shelf so that you can start doing something maybe about harvesting or ripening or something mm. like that. So that's one. Uh, integration or partnership. The other one is uh, um, in terms of uh, leveraging uh, the payment system, for instance. So, um, and of course, many of them are already doing that, uh, maybe through M-Pesa and other platforms. Why do you want farmers to come and queue uh, at your whatever, at your office waiting for payments to sign off documents and the rest. Why not have accounts and pay them through M-Pesa, for mm -hmm. instance? So payments is a very big space where we can operate, uh, um, where we can leverage. I mean, payments, digital payments rather, are a big space which we can leverage in, uh, in, in, in supply chain management. And of course, integrating with your ultimate, ultimate buyers. Very, very, very important. Um, I think those are the two areas where I see technology can play uh, a big role. The other one, of course, is as a producer, you need access to live data. Mm. All right, uh, live data at two spaces. Number one is at the at the market level. How are the price is moving, for instance. Mm. Where do I access? Should I? Uh, I mean, this large supermarket has made an order for bananas at two shillings a kilo. But what are the other market prices out there? So having real-time information about what's happening in the market, absolutely important. And the only way you can do that, of course, is leveraging technology. And I'm glad the government has a website or two that actually addresses those issues uh, in real time. Um, so that's, 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 um, that's important. Then uh, now from a production point of view, you really do need to leverage technology uh, to... Uh, to make sure that uh, you have your correct readings of weather. Um, are we going to have a cold blast, for instance, for the next uh, three weeks or something that's going to affect growth? Are we going to have a drought if your uh, uh, production is rain-fed, if you're in farming? So having real-time data about, um, about weather conditions, for instance, even soil conditions, can enable what is now being described as precision agriculture. Yeah, so that... Uh, you know when to apply fertilizer, you know when to uh, spray your crops, uh, you know when a, a certain pest, for instance, is, uh, is, um, is, is, is bound to appear from nowhere. 
uh, and affect and affect your 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 crops on the field. So oh. there is a big big role for I mean a big space for to leverage uh, technology to move towards uh, precision agriculture. But of course, it's not within the reach of um, very many people. Yeah. But within the within this Kenyan space, we have people who can tell you how your soils are using GIZ, GIS, rather, it's geographical information systems. They mm. can tell you the quality of your soil. And based on that, um, you can decide which fertilizer to use. They can tell you um, the propensity of pests, for instance, for your particular whatever. So it does help in production and you can leverage technology, especially in production. So those are the areas where I see um, in the supply chain management because you're really looking at how you can get your product to your ultimate consumer including producing it, logistics, all the way. Uh, that's why I see us um, leveraging technology. And those technologies are actually available locally. They're available. Yes, they okay. are available, yes. Okay. So, Mr. Kirinya, I feel like you're usually on the other end of this question. Yes. But if I gave you a million dollars right now mm -hmm. to invest in the in you know, value addition process, especially mm -hmm. in regards to the future of food, mm -hmm. what would you do with it? Well, in one sense, a million dollars is not a lot of money. <laughs> but let's just take that to be a lot of I money. Keep, I keep telling you <laughs> all the time, all the damn time, big, big. Yeah, anyway, what would you do with that change? What would I do, what, what would I do with that pocket change? Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing is, um, when it comes to value addition, you have to think, and maybe this is where the business side of things comes comes in. Eh? When you talk about value addition, I, 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 I get the feeling that most people think about conversion, all right, of plum to jam mm. or strawberries to jam or something like that, isn't it? Conversion to the next level. Uh, in a sense, that is it. But value addition is in the eyes of a client, not in the eyes of a producer. Very different from beauty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Value addition is in the eyes of the client, all right? But from, let's let's go to the producer side for, for illustration's sake. Um, there are seasons, for instance, in the milk industry, there are seasons that there's so much drought and the cows are not really producing enough milk. So what happens? Ideally, during the, the wet season, when there's a lot of milk, instead of pouring milk like we see on TV, yeah. give them a machine that converts that milk to powder. All right? Because we know people still milk, need milk further down the road anyway. So that converts that milk to powder. So you see that's... So I have access to the milk, uh, but during the dry season, when there's not much milk, like the liquid milk, I have access to milk anyway in powder form. Yeah. You see, that helps me as a consumer, mm. isn't it? Because mm. it means that throughout the year, I'll have access to milk. Uh, so that's that's one example. Whatever value addition we're thinking about, it has to be relevant to your target market. It's not just about converting this product to the next product. Yes, yeah, it's not just about that. Uh, and then remember in agribusiness, there's, there's uh, uh, the two predominant models are business to customer, as in you're selling directly to the customer, maybe from your farm to the customer, and then business to business. Uh, business to business in this case would be your have your small avocado farm, then you sell to a broker and you're done. Yeah. Then the broker comes and sells to the exporter, then he's done. That's business to business. But eventually the avocado will end up with uh, 
um, um, customer. A customer, someone. Let's call him one. Or two, or three. <laughs> someone will buy that box or two or three boxes. So the thing is, um, when it's business to customer, you have to ask yourself, is this value addition really creating value? Is this change of format of the product from milk to milk powder really going to create value for my customer? That's the first question. So it's a commercial decision, really. And in terms of uh, business to business, remember, I'm in the export business or I'm in the, well, I make chili from uh, from what? From from chili powder or chili sauce from, from, from chili. Mm. From tear gas. From tear gas or tear gas or whatever From chili. It's yeah, true. From chili. Yeah, it's true. So um, for business to business, really, uh, you can, you can, your default mindset is if it's a business, it's pretty much set up to make money, really. Mm. So how you add value to me is that you make it easier for me to make money as a business. That's value. Yeah. So whatever else you want to do with your product, it has to help me make money mm. better, much much better than I'm doing at the moment. Mm. That's how people look at uh, value addition from the consumer's point. And it's usually um, it's usually removed from the equation because people think, ah, we have so many mangoes, why don't we do juice, mango juice? Or we have so many plums, why don't you make uh, plum jam, so mm. to speak, isn't it? Um, but at the end of the day, you'll also notice that agenda, I mean, the big four agenda features a lot of agribusiness. Mm including value addition for agribusiness. But policymakers need to be very, very clear that just the fact that you have converted something from this state to the next state doesn't mean that you've created value. You've done a conversion, but not all conversions are value, value creation. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, but the good thing about that kind of conversion, it probably ex extends the post-harvest usefulness of the product. <laughs> yes, so that... When you dry your skumas today, you can eat them in 2021, 2022 December. Hey. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, of course, helps to minimize post-harvest losses. But don't mistake value addition with conversion. Yes. Because at the end of the day, the person who casts the vote for your value addition is a consumer. Mm. Yes. Not yourself. Yes. That's how I'd look at it. <laughs> I think that's one of the best answers we've gotten for that question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything to say? <laughs>